check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, where we encourage you to think differently about education by helping you reflect, refine, and recharge. This isn't just about trying something new as you educate those entrusted to your care. We'll equip you with simple strategies and practical tips that will fill your toolbox and reignite your passion for teaching. It's time to reflect, refine, and recharge with your host, Anna Geiger. Hello, hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom. Welcome to Triple R Teaching, and today we're kicking off a podcast series all about teaching phonics. Today, we're going to look at the do's and don'ts for teaching phonics. Number one, do teach phonics in a systematic, explicit way. Now, if you're like me and do a lot of reading about the science of reading and structure literacy, you've heard this way too many times to count, but it's so important, we're going to put it front and center. To teach phonics in a systematic way, we want to make sure we have a quality scope and sequence that we follow. Now, usually this is going to come with a phonics program that you're using. If you're not using a program or you have some freedom in your scope and sequence, you can certainly head to my website and get my free scope and sequence, which I'll link to in the show notes. When you choose a scope and sequence, you want to make sure that it progresses from simple to more complex. Typically, that's CVC words, then words with blends and digraphs, then possibly CVCE words, vowel teams are controlled. Some of those are a little switched around in some programs, and that's okay. But we want to make sure that in general, we're going from simple to more complex. We also want to make sure that we don't put concepts that are easily confused right next to each other. And there are a few other things to think about when you're choosing a scope and sequence. I have a blog post all about what order to teach phonics skills, and I'll link to that as well. The other part of this do is to teach phonics in an explicit way. So when I was a balanced literacy teacher, I definitely believed that I was teaching phonics, and I was, but it was very much an embedded approach. It was teach phonics as it comes up. So I would mention things when we were doing shared reading. I would point out maybe a vowel team or something else when a child was, quote, reading leveled books. But I didn't have a specific phonics block every day where I taught from a scope and sequence. Now that said, don't teach only phonics. The goal of reading is reading comprehension. And if you can picture the simple view of reading in your mind, you know that decoding, sometimes referred to as word recognition, times language comprehension equals reading comprehension. So the language comprehension piece is very important. If students can sound out words in a decodable book or another type of text, but they can't tell you what they just read, reading comprehension is not occurring. A common criticism of the science of reading is that people who promote it are only about phonics, phonics first and only. Now, of course, we know that's not true, but we have to be careful in our practices to make sure that people understand that we know it's not true. So you want to make sure you build time into your daily schedule for vocabulary and comprehension building. I recommend doing that through quality read-alouds that you have every day in kindergarten, first, and second grade. I think that those read-alouds should do three things. They should build knowledge, they should build vocabulary, and it's an opportunity for you to teach comprehension skills and strategies. But don't forget, the key things that they should be doing are building knowledge and vocabulary. Our next do is to do teach letter names and sounds. 
And I'm a little hesitant to say this one because this tends to be a big blow up discussion in any circles, really, where people are passionate about teaching young children. There is a debate about whether you should teach just the sounds or letter names first or both at the same time. I just can't get on board with this idea that we should only teach letter sounds to beginning readers. It's not like you can block out the rest of their life where people are going to be talking to them about letter names. I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching both at the same time. One thing to remember is that a lot of letter sounds are embedded in a letter's name, right? So the letter F, V, the letter deed, and so on. Now, not in everyone, but in many. So it's not as hard to learn letter sounds as you might think. On the other hand, one thing that people who promote letter sounds first are advocating for is a way to get students to grasp the alphabetic principle sooner. So the alphabetic principle is understanding that this letter on the page represents a sound. And I'm completely on board with that. So we do have to remember that when kids learn letter names, that's not enough. That's not going to get them reading. So it's really best to teach letter sounds with letter names, unless you're teaching, let's say, a two-year-old who maybe isn't ready to learn that, but can memorize names of letters. I also want to address something. Many people, myself included, point out that research shows us that letter name knowledge and phonemic awareness are some of the key indicators for later literacy achievement. So if kids are good at those two things, they will likely have success in reading. But I think we have to be careful to remember that it's not knowing letter names itself that leads them to be successful. I recently read an article called Phonics Faux Pas by Nell Duke and Heidi Mesmer, who are both really good people to read when it comes to understanding the research. And in their article, they point out, while it's true that letter name knowledge in preschool and kindergarten is a strong predictor of children's later literacy achievement, it's not because letter name knowledge isn't even close to sufficient contributor to actually reading or writing. It's helpful, but some children learn to read knowing only letter sounds, no letter names. The predictive power of letter names lies largely in the fact that it's a proxy for other things. Children who know letter names early are more likely to have experienced a substantial emphasis on print literacy in the home and to have attended a strong preschool, for example, which in turn increase the likelihood of higher later reading and writing achievement. So in other words, what they're saying is if a child knows their letters early, they're probably in a strong literacy environment and a lot of other things are happening that will lead to them being successful in reading. My next don't is don't forget about the alphabetic principle. That same article that I was referencing earlier has a really good analogy. So let me read that to you. It says, imagine going to work for a shipbuilding company. You go to work the first day and are schooled in all the different types of bolts, screws, and nails. You learn their names, the different sizes, and the different types, but you never learn that their purpose is to join pieces of metal and that those pieces of metal are used to build ships. Although the situation is clearly ridiculous, it is actually analogous to what we see in some pre-kindergarten and kindergarten classrooms. Children are being taught to name letters or even identify the sounds that the letters represent, but they are unclear about why they're learning it. Letter sound knowledge is being learned in a vacuum. The child has no context for how to use the information. No big picture. Now, there are a lot of ways to build the alphabetic principle that should probably be a whole podcast episode by itself, but one of my favorite ways to do this is to integrate letters with phonemic awareness instruction, even if students maybe don't know all the sounds of all the letters. So let's say you have a picture of a sun on a page, and then you have three blanks, one for each letter. You help kids 
separate that word into its three phonemes, s, a, n, and then on each line, you put a magnetic letter or a letter tile, or you write the letter that represents the sound. So when you say, what's the first sound of the word sun? S. Okay, what letter represents that sound? S. Can you write an S on this line or, you know, put a letter tile there if they're not quite ready to write? Even preschool children can learn phonemic awareness with letters. So that's a good way to build the alphabetic principle. We're taking a quick break to introduce my popular membership for pre-K through third grade educators, the Measured Mom Plus. When you join, you'll get instant access to thousands of high-quality math and literacy printables with new additions each month. We've got decodable passages, decodable books, and countless phonics games and centers. The membership really is your one-stop shop for systematic, explicit phonics instruction, and so much more. One of our members, Mara, had this to say, I love the ease of the website. Everything is easy to find. I love the activities I can easily make for centers. Everything is easy to find, make, and use. To learn more, visit themeasuredmom.com forward slash membership. Moving on, the next one is two-part. So do teach specific generalizations. Don't get bogged down in rules. Now, this is very controversial and I want you to know that I'm not opposed to phonics rules. I'm actually becoming certified in Orton-Gillingham, which is pretty heavy on phonics rules. I just think we need to be careful. I think we need to definitely teach generalizations, including things like every syllable should have a vowel, that there are different types of syllables. I do think we should teach the six or seven syllable types, like open, closed, R-controlled, CVCE, and so on. It's helpful to know that when W comes before O-R, the O-R represents the sound Er. It's good to know that a digraph is two letters that represent one sound. It's just that if we go on and on and on and on and on down the rabbit hole of rules, we could get to quite a lot. I think the rules are important for reading, but particularly for spelling. I think some people don't want to teach the rules because they think that's not necessary for kids learning to read, and maybe it's not, but having those rules in their back pocket is going to come in really handy when they're spelling. I don't think we want to get down the rabbit hole of kids having to recite rule after rule after rule. I think you should teach it, show them how to apply it, provide an anchor chart, but I wouldn't want to waste a lot of class time with having kids articulate rules. And that's what I mean by not getting bogged down by the rules. Remember the point of the rules. It's to help children decode and encode, which is spell. Recitation of long lists of rules is not going to help them with decoding and encoding. It's going to take up class time. Do teach strategies for reading and spelling multisyllable words. This is another big area of controversy in the science of reading world, where some people would believe that you should teach the syllable types, you should teach syllable division rules. There are others that say this is all a waste of time, and what we really want to focus on is getting kids actually reading, not dividing words into syllables. Many people would say that instead of teaching syllable types specifically, you can teach an alternate way of sounding out or spelling these long words using some general principles. And Readsters has a really interesting podcast, or I should say YouTube video about this. I can't remember all the steps, but basically you have kids count the vowels. And by count the vowels, you know, you'll have to teach them that like a vowel team would count as one and the silent E doesn't necessarily count and so on. But you're going to teach them to count the vowels and then that will tell them how many syllables and then they can draw blanks for each syllable and then break the word up. So there is still a process, but it's not so rule-based. I would say that 
either of these things can work as long as you teach one. Kids need some kind of strategy for handling multisyllable words, and they need practice finding those chunks. Our next don't is don't make all your phonics lessons whole class lessons. If you're familiar with the science of reading, you probably have heard of Nancy Young's Ladder of Reading and Writing. So she went through the research and basically found which percentages of students are more likely to learn to read without a structured approach and which need a structured approach and so on. And basically what she found is that most students will benefit from a structured approach and a few can read without a lot of explicit instruction, a very small percent. And in an article that I read recently, it's called Differentiation, the Key to Serving All Students Climbing the Ladder of Reading, she expresses concern that she's seeing many teachers not differentiating. The teachers have done a positive thing, which is have a new appreciation for helping students who struggle, but they're not real interested in challenging the kids who don't need as much explicit instruction. And that's why I think small group teaching for phonics is so important If you've been teaching for 10 minutes, you know that the students in your class come to you with a vast variety of skills when it comes to reading. So if you teach kindergarten, you're going to have some kids who don't know their letters. And you may have a child or two or more who's already reading when they come into kindergarten. They don't need the same lessons. So I think it's really important to give a good quality phonics assessment. And again, I will provide a link to one of mine in the show notes. And then after you look at that assessment, you group students by need. So if they need to learn letter sounds, they should be grouped together. If they're advanced readers and they're learning to read multisyllable words, they should be in a group. By doing that, you can meet the needs of everyone versus just a small section of your class. This episode could go on for hours, but I'm going to close it now with a final do and don't. Number one, do educate yourself, but don't get stuck in the weeds. So by that, I mean, learn as much as you can about phonics. There is so much to learn, and it's actually super interesting, believe it or not. There is so much to learn about different approaches to teaching phonics, different ways to incorporate phonemic awareness. There are different things to learn about why some words are spelled the way they are, different ways to divide words into syllables and to attack multisyllable words. There's a lot to learn about word roots and word meanings. There's just so much to phonics. But we don't want to get stuck in the weeds and feel paralyzed. Sometimes you see these discussions going on in Science of Reading Facebook groups, which are really interesting. But a lot of times there's someone that seems to say that everything you've been doing is wrong, that you have to teach phonics this one particular way. What you need to remember is that you need to be systematic and explicit in the way that you teach phonics. And you can certainly learn and grow all the time, and you should be. But don't let someone else's opinion slow you down experiment, try new things, but know that as long as you're being systematic and explicit with your phonics instruction and including language building with quality read-alouds, you are going to be doing a great job. So stick with me. We're going to be sharing more tips and resources for teaching phonics in the next few weeks. And you can check the show notes by visiting themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 67. Remember to check out my membership, The Measured Mom Plus, which has loads of resources for teaching phonics and other aspects of literacy and math. Learn more at themeasuredmom.com forward slash membership. We'll talk to you again next week. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. 
We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.